sign up or if you didn't uh, hear the announcement, please come. We should have plenty of food and it will be a great time. Some beautiful weather. So we'll have tables set up outside and so looking forward to that. But before we get there, uh, turn to John chapter 15. If you would, John 15. week we began to work through this incredible chapter, uh, John 15, and uh, we're focusing on this, this first sort of section, John 15, verses 1 through 17, which we have entitled, Abide in Me, and I in You, Life, Lessons on Life in Union with Christ. Um, and so last week we began this lesson, uh, the first lesson, which is found in verses 1 through 4, about the fruitfulness of disciples in union with the true vine. So Jesus has given us this illustration of the vine and the branches in order to give us a clear picture of the relationship that disciples have with Christ. So we said last week that the most fundamental identity of you as a disciple is that you are in union with Jesus Christ. It's what it means to be a disciple, and that's why he's giving us this picture but he's also given us this illustration of the vine and branches so that we would clearly know the implications that come for our lives from it. Because we are in union with Christ, that means that our mission as disciples ought to be bearing fruit. In other words, the fruitfulness of the vine, Christ is the true vine, the fruitful vine, it's going to be born through branches. That means you, as a disciple, that's the commission on your life. So go to John 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. So you see, while Christ has returned to heaven, that's what he's telling his disciples here, I'm going to heaven, I'm leaving you behind. But while he is going away, he's still working in the world. And he's doing it in and through branches who are filled with his life and his spirit. Disciples, you and I have been left here to be representative witnesses of Christ, filled with his life, filled with his spirit, through whom he is producing fruit in the world. And that's why he's given us this illustration. So as we begin, let me ask you, is that what you are living for? Is this, bearing fruit, what defines your life? Is that the main thing under which everything else in your life falls? Just think about it. What consumes your time? What fills your mind? What do you spend your money on? What drives you to make the decisions that you make? What motivates you to get up in the morning? Is it this, bearing fruit? Fruit as a disciple in union with Christ. That is the commission that's on my life and on your life. And that's why Christ is giving us this illustration. And last week we covered the first two verses which taught us about the fruitfulness of the true vine and the sovereign work of the vine dresser. 
Christ is the true vine, the one who fulfills everything that Israel was supposed to be but failed to be. And the Father is the vine dresser. He has sovereignly overseen this relationship between Christ and his disciples, ensuring maximal fruitfulness. And we saw last week, the Father does two things, right? He breaks off false disciples, and he prunes true, fruitful disciples. So that was last week, the identity of the true vine and the vine dresser. But this week, it's going to now shift and zero in on the identity of you and I as disciples and what we do in this process. So in verses 3 to 4, we will get the fruitfulness of disciples as abiding branches. So let's read it. Go to John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. <coughs> the fruitfulness of disciples as abiding branches. And Jesus begins in verse 3 by telling us something about our identity. The already clean status of true disciples. Look at verse 3 again. He says, already you are clean. So why does Jesus say that? Sort of seems out of place, kind of, kind of random as we're reading through it. What's the connection? Why all of a sudden say this? Already you are clean. I think in order to really get what Jesus is saying, you need to see there is a play on words going on in this, in this passage. So look back to verse 2. In the very middle, it says, Every branch that does, not bear, that does bear fruit, the Father prunes. The word literally is the Father cleans. Okay? We use this terminology still, right? We, we clean out the, the, the overgrowth of a plant. We, we clean the uh, underbrush of a, of a garden. That's what it says. The father prunes. That is, he cleans these branches in order to increase the fruitfulness. And then now in verse 3, Jesus says, already you are clean. You see? The father cleans fruitful branches. Already you are clean. So what's the connection? What does that mean? We've actually seen something very similar to this in John uh, a couple chapters earlier. I think it sheds light on what's going on here. So go with me to John 13, verse 8. This is the foot washing scene in the upper room. John 13, verse 8. He comes to Peter. You know the story. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, Those, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. In other words, disciples have been made completely clean owing to the cross work 
of Christ. That's why he's washing their feet. He's illustrating what he's about to do on the cross for his disciples. They're completely clean. Look at verse 10. He's already completely clean. But these already clean disciples, nevertheless, still have need for continual foot washing. The regular daily application of Christ's work for them. You see, we never lose our status of being already clean. You are already clean, permanently, unchangeably. But we still sin, don't we? And we still are in daily need of the applications, fresh, of Christ's blood and pardon sins. In other words, we don't lose our status of being clean, but we're in continual need of becoming in experience what we already are in position. See that? Now go back to John 15, verse 3. I think something very similar is going on. It says, The Father cleans fruitful branches. Already you are clean. The Father cleans already clean branches. This is the already not yet paradox of a disciple's cleansing. And I think Jesus sticks this comment in here because this is what makes this teaching so uniquely Christian. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is how Christians live. It's how we live our lives in this already not yet paradox. So you see what Jesus is saying? He is saying the Father's work of pruning or cleaning disciples, as we saw last week, is in order to progressively make them into what they already are in Christ. Jesus wants to protect us from a very serious misunderstanding. Disciples are not made progressively clean in their standing before God owing to God's pruning work or owing to their fruitfulness. No, you are already completely clean. And the work the Father is doing is to bring you more and more in conformity in your experience with what you already are in Christ. You're already clean, decisively, completely, owing to your union with Christ, and now the Father works to bring you more and more into that. Paul talks like this all the time. 1 Corinthians 5. Command, cleanse out the old leaven, sin. Cleanse it out that you may be a new lump. Why? As you really are unleavened. Why? Because Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. It's the already not yet paradox of a believer's cleansing. And because that is true... Father's work of pruning, cleaning in your life is the evidence of your already clean status. It doesn't, the Father does this for already clean branches. He only does this for already clean branches. To be pruned in this way, to be willing to be pruned in this way like we saw last week, is evidence that you are already clean. It's not a sign of judgment, it's a sign of the Father's love to you. But before we move on, why are you clean? What is the basis of that? Where does that come from? Well, Christ tells us in this verse, the basis of the disciples' cleansing. Look at the rest of verse 3. Already you are clean 
because of the word that I have spoken to you. You're clean because of the word, on account of the word that I have spoken to you. Christ's word represents the sum total of his teaching, which in the Gospel of John centers on his person and his work, what he's done, what he's accomplished on the cross. And here Jesus says that it's on account of that word as it's believed and as it is received that you and I are made completely clean. See, Christ's word mediates his person. You receive Christ's person and his work by receiving his word. They're inseparable from one another. So look at John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. You get all the benefits of Christ's person and work as you receive his word. You're brought into connection with Christ himself, and you're made already clean. That's who you are as a disciple. So what we have here is sandwiched in between the Father's pruning work. We saw that last week. And then your job to abide as a disciple, in between those two things, we get your identity as an already clean disciple. You must know that status. You must know who you are by faith alone. It's so crucial. How easy it is to think that that changes as we bear fruit. How easy it is to think that this mission of being fruitful, a fruitful branch, bearing much fruit for Christ in this life, having a life of great usefulness to God for his purposes in the world, how easy it is to think that that cannot be for me because of what I have done in the past, because of who I am, because of how dirty I feel. I can't be for me. Maybe other people, but not for me. Certainly not. Christ answers that objection here. You are already clean. Not owing to you, owing to Christ's work and your connection by faith in his word. Because that's true, the Father is working in your life to ensure your fruitfulness. And because that is true, now you are commanded to engage your will and to press into him and to bear fruit. And that brings us now to verse 4. The essential duty of disciples to abide in Christ. Look at verse 4. Abide in me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. We said last week that our union with, with Christ is not only a doctrine to be believed, as glorious as it is, it's a duty for us to define our lives by this doctrine. It's our duty to experience this union day by day in our lives. It's not just a truth to be tucked away in a theology textbook somewhere. It is a truth that must govern how we live day by day. We are in union with Christ. Verse 4 again. Abide in me, and I in you. This is the first of many instructions that are going to be given to disciples in this, in this chapter. Disciples are here commanded to abide. Now, what in the world does that mean? Um, 
Well, if you're like me, I think a lot of people, when they hear this expression of abiding, we think of something very abstract, very mystical, some mystical sensation. We, we get in. I don't really know what it is. Don't really know how to do it. You just sort of abide. That's not at all what abiding is. Jesus expects you to know what it means to abide and how to do it. And it's very clear. And there's certainly a mysterious element to what's going on here, as there is for all spiritual realities. But how you abide and what it means is crystal clear. And I hope this morning that you will we'll see it. Jesus tells us first that disciples must maintain an abiding relationship of mutual indwelling with Christ. Look at it again. Abide in me and I in you. The word abide literally means to remain or continue. By itself, it's a very common word. Uh, it's often used, Christ abided in a certain location. Christ remained in Galilee. There's nothing in the word itself that makes it uniquely spiritual. Jesus' command here is that disciples remain or continue or persevere in their relationship with Christ. Being in him and him being in them. Just as disciples began, they must continue to the end. So that's basically what Jesus is saying here. He says, abide in me and I in you. You're commanded to abide in Christ and you're commanded to ensure that Christ abides in you. Well, how can you ensure that Christ abides in you? Well, by doing the first half, by abiding in him. It's very simple. If I commanded you to ensure that electricity remains in this extension cord that I give you, how do you ensure that? You ensure it by keeping it plugged into the electrical socket, right? And it's the same idea here. How do you ensure that Christ remains in you, pulsating in you with his life and his spirit? By remaining in him. By staying connected to him. And that's what he is commanding you in this passage. Something that's going to help us grasp just what this means to abide in him and in him and us is by comparing this with Jesus' relationship with the Father. Jesus abided in the Father, and the Father abided in Jesus. And so we're going to sort of look at that because as disciples, our relationship with Jesus is meant to reflect and is modeled after Christ's relationship with the Father. So... Let's look at this um, one half at a time and see if we can't understand this package here, what, what this means, mutual indwelling. It's the nature of, of mutual indwelling. Number one, abide or remain in me. What does that mean? Well, how did Christ remain or abide in the Father? Go back to chapter 14, verse 10. How did Christ remain in the Father? Abide in the Father. Chapter 14, verse 10. Jesus says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father? See that? And the Father is in me. So there's that relationship. What does it mean? How does that work? He tells us, The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. 
In other words, how is Christ in the Father? He was in the Father by his complete dependence on the Father. He said, I don't speak a single word or do a single work from myself in self-reliance. It's all in submission to the Father, in dependence on the Father. And the same is true of you and I. How do you abide in Christ? What does that mean? We abide in Christ by a persevering dependency on Christ. So how do you want to define abiding in Christ? It's that, a persevering dependency. You persevere in dependency on Christ, in submission to Christ. You're, you not only depend on him for initial cleansing and salvation, but that same faith that came to him at the beginning continues every day until the end, drawing from him, depending on him, submitting to him. We not only submit to him at the beginning, we continue to abide and submit and depend for the entirety of our lives. So saw so these last week. John 6, 56, whoever feeds on my flesh, that continual feeding on the sacrificial work of Christ and drinks my blood, abides in me. You depend on his sacrificial work. John 8, 31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, dependence, submission to Christ, you are truly my disciples. You abide in Christ by a persevering dependency on Christ. Okay, I think I see that. But what does this mean that he abides in you? How does that work? Well, how did the Father abide in Christ? Go back to John 14, verse 10. Look at it again. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. In other words, it was the Father, ultimately, who was working, empowering, directing Christ. It was the Father who was giving Christ the Spirit to empower him for ministry. And the same is true for you as a believer. Christ abides in you as he fills you, and nourishes you, and empowers you, and sustains you by his Spirit within So that's what the nature of this mutual indwelling is. You abide in him by a persevering dependency, and he abides in you by nourishing, empowering, supplying the Spirit to you. Well, what does that look like? Okay, I sort of have the theological categories in my mind now. Practically speaking, how do you do that? What do you do? How do you abide in Christ? And this is the practice of mutual indwelling. Give you four things. Number one, disciples abide in Christ such that Christ abides in them by abiding in his word, such that his word abides in them. Remember, Christ's word mediates Christ's person. They're inseparable. Do you want to abide in Christ? You abide in his word. You want Christ to abide in you? You let Christ's word abide in you. You remain in a relationship of persevering dependency on Christ by persevering in a dependence on Christ's word. So look at the parallels here. Verse 4, chapter 15, verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. Look down at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. 
True disciples abide in Christ, and the way they do it, the exclusive way they do it, is by abiding in the Word, depending, submitting to Christ's Word. It's not through mystical sensations that we sort of get disconnected from the, the Word. It's not how you abide. You do it as you're nourished by the Word that fills you and empowers you. You want to be filled with the Spirit? Be filled with the word. Colossians 3.16 Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You want to be a fruitful disciple? True disciple? You want the life-giving sap and spirit of Christ to be pulsating through you? You want to be fruitful? Abide in the word. Stay connected to the word with a persevering dependency. And as you are, the word will fill you, nourish you, sustain you. It causes you to bear fruit. So that's how you do it. You abide in the Word. And the Word abides in you. Number two, disciples abide in Christ such that Christ abides in them by dependent prayer. Christ remained in the Father by a continual dependence on the Father's work to prayer. So you see this all through Christ's ministry, don't you? Christ is constantly praying to the Father. We saw it back at the tomb of Lazarus. We're going to see it again in chapter 17. Christ is dependent on the Father expressed in, in prayer. In the same way, disciples are to abide in Christ. So go back, chapter 14, verse 12. Look at this. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do, because I'm going to the Father. So it's exactly what we're talking about in John 15, this fruit bearing that's going to happen through disciples. We'll look at verse 13. How are we to bear this fruit? Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will that's how we are to bear fruit, by dependence on Christ in prayer. While disciples are to be about the continuing of the mission of Christ, they do so in complete dependence on Him to supply all their needs, accomplish all His will in dependent prayer. But as soon as I neglect prayer, it reveals that I've begun to make this mission my own. Or, that I've begun to rely on my own power to do it. How do you abide in Christ? By dependent prayer for the carrying out of this mission that you've been given. So you have the word, prayer. Number three, disciples abide in Christ by living in continual obedience to his commandments. This is just an amplification of the point we made earlier. You submit to his word, especially his commandments and obedience. And that's how Christ works. He works through obedient branches. As you submit to him, as you order your life around his, his commandments. So John 15, we're going to be here in a couple weeks. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. How do you abide in Christ? Practically obeying Him. Submitting to Him. Bring your life up under His Word. 
Number four, disciples abide in Christ by continually drawing from all that Christ is for them. A disciple abides in Christ by continually drawing on all the riches that is already yours because you are in union with him. We live in a continual expectancy that these things are already true for me. So you know the, the hymn uh, Charles Wesley wrote, No condemnation, now I dread, Jesus and all that is in him is mine. That's what it means to be in union with Christ. And you abide in him by drawing from all that's his as though it's yours because it is yours. If we had time, we would look at these passages. Let me just highlight them for you. Because of our union with Christ, his peace is now our peace. Chapter 14, verse 27. We saw that a few weeks ago. Christ says, my peace I give you. Christians live with a peace in their life, but it's not their peace. It's the peace of Christ that's in them working its way out. John 15, 11. Jesus says, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. We abide in Christ. How? By having lives that are filled with joy, but it's not our joy. It's the joy of Christ that's in us, overflowing out of us. And the same with love. We are commanded to love as Christ has loved us. We're not to love with our love. We love with the love of Christ in us, overflowing out through us. That's what it means to abide in Christ, all that's Christ is ours through us flows out to bear fruit. So all of that's the practice of mutual indwelling. How do you do this? How do you abide in Christ such that Christ abides in you? These four ways, these are the main ways that John highlights that for you. How Jesus expects us to carry out this commandment. But before we move on, I want to give us just one practical implication that flows from, from all of this. Okay, so know the nature of abiding, what that means, and I see the directions, how you do it. Here's an implication. We cannot abide in Christ, in Christ in us, in the way just described, if we do not have a regular, set-aside time to feed on and be nourished by the word. To cast ourselves on Christ in dependent prayer. You cannot. To illustrate this point, I, I want to take you back to the story of Hudson Taylor. I mentioned him a little bit last week. Read you an excerpt from uh, the book, Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. And, uh, it's a very famous, uh, famous quote here. Ms. Taylor's new pattern was to go to bed earlier and then rise at 5 a.m. to give himself to Bible study and prayer, often two hours before the work of the day began. To him, the secret of overcoming lay in daily, hourly fellowship with God. And this, he found, could only be maintained by secret prayer and feeding upon the Word, through which he reveals himself to the waiting soul. It was not easy for Mr. Taylor in his changeful life to make time for prayer and Bible study, but he knew that it was vital. 
Well do the writers, that would be his son, his children who's writing this book. Well do the writers remember traveling with him month after month in northern China by cart and wheelbarrow with the poorest of inns at night. Often with only one large room for coolies and travelers alike, they would screen off a corner for their father and another for themselves with curtains of some sort. And then after sleep at last had brought a measure of quiet, they would hear a match strike and see the flicker of candlelight, which told that Mr. Taylor, however weary, was poring over the little Bible in two volumes at hand. From 2 to 4 a.m. was the time he usually gave to prayer, the time when he could be most sure of being undisturbed to wait upon God. That flicker of candlelight has meant more to them as his children than all they have read or heard on secret prayer. It meant reality, not preaching, but practice. The hardest part of a missionary career, Mr. Taylor found, is to maintain regular, prayerful Bible study. Satan will always find something for you to do, he would say, when you ought to be occupied with that, if it is only arranging a window blind. It's true, isn't it? Hudson Taylor would later write this, Communion with Christ requires our coming to him. Meditating upon his person and his work requires the diligent use of the means of grace and specifically the prayerful reading of his word. Many fail to abide because they habitually fast instead of faith. Abide in Christ. And this is not the whole of abiding. This is not the only thing you do. You're meant to abide all day long, moment by moment. But the point is, is that these set-aside times are what feeds us and enables us to abide for the rest of the day. If you look like this, there's no way you're going to abide in the day-to-day -day life that's coming at you at 100 miles an hour. And it's a duty. It's a commandment. Abide in me. Oh, it's gloriously sweet and refreshing, but sometimes it's difficult. And it's something we must cultivate even when we don't feel like it. I don't think Hudson Taylor felt like striking that match at 2 a.m. after a weary day traveling through China. It's first a command of Christ to obey. And then we reap the glorious fruits and benefits from it. There's so much more we could say under this point. Abide in Christ. That's how you do it. It's what it looks like. But not only must we maintain this relationship of mutual indwelling with Christ, but disciples must maintain this relationship because it is the exclusive means to fruit bearing. Look at the rest of verse 4. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. The main point being expressed here is the absolute inability, absolute inability for you and I to bear fruit apart from this. Fruit comes only through the life of Christ pulsating through you, through branches. You must be in continual connection with him. Not only in positional union, but in conscious living out of that union day by day. 
To think that we could be fruitful apart from what we've just discussed, abiding in Christ is just as irrational as breaking off a branch from a grapevine, laying it on the ground, and think it's going to put out clusters of grapes. It's irrational. And yet I think we still think that we can do it. I can produce fruit. I can do it. And I neglect the means. I neglect abiding. To the extent that we neglect to abide in Christ, we're revealing one of two things. We reveal either that fruit bearing is not the goal of my life, or we reveal that I think I can do it on my own, and I can't. Both are grave errors. And that's what I want to exhort you with as we, as we close, myself included. Is fruit bearing the goal of your life as a disciple in union with Christ? Bearing fruit for him. We're going to define fruit in future, future lessons. But oh my goodness, how many things can clog up the pipes of our life, distract us from this work. That's why the Father does his work that we saw last week. It's our duty. Examine what is keeping you from bearing fruit. What's distracting you? What's hindering you? This is the goal of our life. This is why you have been saved. What is it? And then we must realize that we cannot do it on our own. And that should drive me to abide in Christ. I think one of the main reasons that I neglect um, fruit-bearing opportunities, I, I fear, I run away from opportunities to bear fruit, preaching, sharing the gospel with my neighbor, loving someone that's hard to love, moving my China, my family to China, and doing ministry over there, this tendency in me to sort of shrink back from that, not want to do it, because I sense my own inadequacy. You sense your own inadequacy. I can't do it. And the temptation is to run. I don't think I can do it, so I'm going to run. I'm not going to do it. But the point is, is that you are inadequate. That is the point. But the proper response is to say, I am inadequate, but the call is to abide in Christ. And as you do, by faith, go forward, bearing fruit. Take those fruit-bearing opportunities, depending on Him, to work in and through you. So do you want to be a faithful Christian? Fruitful? Abide in Christ. You want to be the conduit through which Christ is working in this world? Abide in Christ. You experience all the gifts that Christ has secured for you? His peace, His joy, His love flowing through you? Abide in Christ. So that's John 15, verses 1 to 4, the fruitfulness of disciples in union with the true vine. We will, in a couple weeks, pick up the remaining parts of this, uh, this glorious section. Any questions, comments? We've got a couple minutes before we, before we close. Um, how would you define fruit? Like, um, I know like, there's the fruit of the Spirit, mm -hmm. and then there's kind of being broadly, like, also people coming to Christ. Or... It's a good question. So we are going to tackle that because it's going to be defined as we go through it. Okay. I think it's general. And it's all the good that is coming from a believer's life. I think conversions, salvations of others, it's a primary part of it. It's not the only thing about so. Yes? Where does Sunday school fit into the abiding in Christ? Why can I not just say, well, I go to Sunday school and I go to church and I'm very invested on Sunday. How does that fit into the abiding? Why is that not enough? Yeah. Very good question. Very good question. So I say it's not a either or. It's both and. So... God gives us many means of grace in the Bible. Okay. 
church, the corporate gathering, is one. So the flip side of this, you can do all the personal fighting you want and you neglect church, you're going to be a very anemic Christian. Right? It's essential for your growth. So it's not an either or. Um, so we get commandments, Psalm 1, meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. Right. So we get, it's both of them. Um, so you need both of those in your life. So absolutely, you need the church. That's like the that's like the fertilizer. It's just the you get nuked on Sunday, <laughs> but then you gotta be sustained. You gotta meditate. You gotta cultivate it. You gotta work it out in your life, and because uh, you're not getting the whole counsel of God in one week, right? And you gotta be continually feeding that through your life as well. It's a really good question. It's a both and. You need, you need both of them. Michael, just to, oh, sorry. I was just saying, that made me think of one of the, I guess, aspects of the group as he goes on in John 15 to say is that you would love one another. I mean, and that can't be done outside the body. Sorry. Yeah. You love one another by brushing shoulders with one another. So. Excellent. Cody? I just heard Mark Pater say a couple times it's like Sunday morning and, and right now is like the rain coming down. Mm. And that's, that's great. But... Us personal discipleship and balance that at home is like us going to the well every day and like extracting the water from the well because we don't have that rain every single day. That's excellent. Amen. What we're doing now is to feed what's going to go on the rest of the session. Great. All right. Let me pray and uh, we'll let you guys go. Thank you, Father, for your word. Apply it now to our hearts through your spirit. Cause it to bear fruit. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.